right. If you have your Bibles, uh, last week we stopped at the end of chapter 23, uh, so you can open your Bibles up this morning to chapter 24. Um, we have, I said this in our intro, uh, in our welcome, we have a lot of ground to cover. In fact, uh, almost a little too much, um, but uh, I was having a hard time figuring out how to break this up, and so uh, what we're going to do is work through... Uh, these 51 verses today. In fact, it'll be a, a new feat for Merge. Uh, 51 verses in four and a half hours. And so uh, that, that's kind of our plan. Uh, but, but chapter 24 kind of opens, uh, it really not opens, it is one of the most controversial chapters that we find in the whole Bible. And it's not controversial because of what Jesus says, but really how we attempt to apply these words when certain things happen, it's in particular to our time. Uh, in fact, the next few weeks, what Jesus is going to be doing is talking to us about what it looks like as he brings his kingdom. Uh, and so we will spend a considerable amount of time uh, talking about in days. And now let me just warn you about that. Uh, this isn't a uh, dive into the book of Daniel or Revelation. Uh, we're not going to try to decode uh, things that have happened or may not have happened uh, because I, I feel that there's a very real danger in doing that because I, I honestly believe that every generation from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven and gives us the great commission and says, I'll be with you always, and then he goes, uh, that that Every generation since then believed very firmly that they were the last generation. Uh, that at any moment now, Jesus could come back, which creates in us this great sense of urgency. And, and so, uh, as we approach these chapters, though, there's a very real danger that we will miss um, very important truths that affect our eternity because we're caught up in trying to discern details and uh, that, that may or may not be actually answered uh, in this text. In fact, Christians uh, for a long time have mined chapter 24 for various details about the future. In fact, um, I remember uh, when I, one of my first jobs right out of high school was at a Lifeway bookstore um, back when it was called Baptist Bookstore. Uh, we had to wear a tie. Hated that. Uh, and then all of a sudden we became Lifeway and I didn't have to wear a tie anymore. So I thought, well, it's Baptist's fault that we have to wear ties in this world. Um, but, but I remember that they had this whole section on prophecy and end times that uh, would always be so full of people. Uh, and, and there have been many, many books written trying to decode uh, what the end days will look like. There's been many conferences uh, where many pastors have presented arguments for what is currently happening and how they interpret uh, those things. And, 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 so, uh, and, and I should say this. I know. Uh, I should say this, that, that it's not just kooks or weirdos that are trying to uh, decode the end of the world. Uh, that, that very real, uh, gospel-believing, uh, God-loving people have looked at verses like the ones we'll be in today and have asked God, okay, help me understand what that looks like so I can be sure that I am ready. And, and I think if we're not careful... Um, when we approach verses like this, uh, we can get caught up on whether or not we you can use a lot of se uh, seminary-like words, like, for instance, are we um, uh, premillennialism, postmillennialism, whatever that word was, uh, amillennialism, uh, are we pre 
pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Are we, uh, do we believe in a rapture? Do we not believe in a rapture? And all of that stuff I'm not trying to deal with today. Uh, that, that's not the intent. Uh, because what I'm trying, what I hope we would do is that we'd be very careful and that we won't miss what's most important in this chapter particularly. That, that amid all these minor questions that arise, uh, Matthew 24 brings some major questions that must be answered in our, in our own lives. And so uh, regardless of the details about how or when or what's moving, um, really the questions that we need to be asking is, are we ready for whatever may happen in this life? This week, next week, this year? Are we ready for what happens in eternity? Are we, are we ready for what happens in a billion years from now? Uh, because as we look back on our lives, as Jesus does come, uh, how and the when um, will be less important than are we ready for that. And so, so there are no more important questions than these. That, that, that Jesus' primary goal in 24 is not to answer our questions about every single detail for how uh, he brings about his kingdom, um, but rather that he would prepare us for what the future may hold. And so that, that's kind of the direction that we're going to be going. So let's pray and then let's, uh, let's go. Father, we come to you and we are uh, very thankful today that you love us so very much, uh, that you've given us your word so that we can find um, rest in very uncertain times, that we have a place, we have a person that we can cling to when all else at times can seem to be very um, difficult or, or where fear can creep in. And so we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us in these words today and that we would be able to respond accordingly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, as we start, um, let me say this. Uh, Pastor David Platt um, wrote a commentary that I believe very firmly I have just plagiarized this morning. Uh, and so I want to make sure that he gives credit where credit is due. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. We, we rarely do it this way. I'm going to read to you the entire chapter of, of 24, and then we'll kind of come back and talk about some things. And so um, buckle up. If you don't have a Bible, uh, Barrett's going to have them up on the verses up on the screen. So Jesus, okay, uh, so where we were at last week, remember, he spent two weeks talking about uh, the hypocrisy of the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's warning them uh, about what life looks like. And so here we go. Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, uh, but he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, uh, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us then, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So if you like to underline your Bible, it's a great, it's, it's, it gives you a good context clue there, right? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. 
And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, it uh, sounds like a really bad name for a heavy metal band, right? Um, we are the abomination of... No, here we go. Focus. We don't have time for this, Brandon. Uh, spoken uh, of by the prophet Daniel, stand in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the, his, the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back uh, to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight might not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been uh, from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And in those days, uh, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. So as to lead astray, uh, if possible, even the elect. Verse 25, see, I have told you beforehand, so if... They say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. And if they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Verse 32, From the fig tree learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that, the, uh, that, that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving uh, in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and, then, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men, and I'm sure if you've spent much time in church you've heard this, this verse right here. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken one left. Therefore stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would, have not, uh, and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then 
is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing uh, when he comes. Truly I say to you, and you want to talk about ending in a really sad part, uh, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master uh, is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. That's 51 verses. That's the most reading I've done in a long time. Um, okay? So, so we get this, this picture that Jesus is saying, and we can feel some urgency in His words. And, and as we travel through these verses, uh, there, there are going to be three thoughts that I believe will draw us toward clinging closely to Christ as we consider what is, to us, very uncertain times about our futures, but to God is very much certain to Him. Uh, and so, so as we give you three thoughts, let's, let's do this. Uh, three thoughts that Christians can carry until Jesus return. And we can follow along in your talk notes if you'd like. That, that number one, you can trust in Christ's authority. You can trust in the authority of Christ. That, that, I think seeing the big picture of this passage, understanding how this text is arranged, should give us a greater appreciation for Christ's control. Because, because He is very right about one of the prophecies. And we can believe, because He's right about one of them, that the other one will come to fulfillment uh, one day. That uh, there, There's two main prophecies in 24 that Jesus talks about. Uh, the first one uh, is... Uh, it is dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, uh, this is what Jesus begins talking about in verse 15. Uh, but to kind of set the scene, we need to go back to verse 2, uh, where Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. Okay, So, so as Jesus is saying these words, uh, it is roughly A.D. 30, uh, 30, 31, 32. And then approximately in A.D. 70, uh, what we find is that the Romans come in and they uh, continue not only their occupation, but they surround the city of Jerusalem and they overtake it. Uh, and when they did this, uh, the army destroys the temple. Uh, and, and he comes in and they, they made uh, sacrifices to false gods. They declared that Titus, the ruler, uh, the emperor, is supreme. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 will refer to a time like this, that there will be a time of great distress such as never occurred since the nations came into being until that time. Uh, and this is the same language that Jesus is using in, in chapter 24. And at the time of Jerusalem's destruction in AD 70, it was a horrifying, ghastly time. It was, it was literally a bloodbath where millions of Jew, Jewish people were slaughtered uh, by the Romans. In fact, the death toll are, was at the millions. And, and this all very literally took place 40 years after Jesus predicted that this was going to happen. Uh, in fact, it's, it's little wonder uh, that he tells them in verse 15 to flee when these things are taking place. Because he says, listen, it's not good. It's not going to be good. He says, don't even go back into your home. Uh, once you see the Romans coming, you go. You flee for the hills, literally. He says, he says what you need to be praying for is that it doesn't happen in the winter. Uh, that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath because there's restrictions about how 
far you can go in those days. Uh, he says if you're nursing, uh, ladies, it's going to be really tough. Uh, because during the winter, it's the rain season, and so as the rains come, it makes it really difficult to escape uh, as the Romans are coming. And and so this first prophecy in this chapter concerns this destruction that literally happens, uh, that Jesus foreshadows that the temple would be obliterated. And in fact, Jesus says not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. We'll, we'll talk about those stones in a second. So, so here's what you need to know, that, that this happened. This wasn't figurative. Uh, very literally, this happened uh, to them. And then the second prophecy in this passage uh, is described in verses 29 through 31. And, and it's this prophecy concerning the return of Jesus. That, that verse 29 speaks of the moon becoming dark, celestial powers of the heavens uh, being shaken, and based on the language, uh, it seems that, that 29 through 31 are, are more than simply about, the, they're not uh, necessarily about the destruction of Jerusalem, but something altogether different. That, that Jesus will come back, and when he comes back, he comes in splendor, and he comes in glory, and a trumpet calls from the heavens, and, and he comes fully, and he will come fully and finally to assert his reign and his rule over the world. He's very clear about those things. Uh, if you grew up believing that Jesus was really soft and lovey and just say, hey guys, come be my friend kind of thing, it, it, that's not the way Jesus is described at the end of time. Uh, in fact, it says that he comes riding on a horse and he's got a sword on his hip. Uh, and so uh, it is a very powerful uh, scene. And, and so, um, so the difficulty that we have here is it comes when, when understanding really the rest of the passage how the rest of the passage applies to, to these specific prophecies. And, and there, are, there are typically two main schools of thought. Uh, and really, honestly, I go back and forth between the two, depending on um, which version I'm reading, basically. Uh, and so uh, the first option is that, that, that one option is, is that it represents, and this is what most scholars, I believe, kind of think today, is that these are two events that are kind of like mountain peaks. Uh, that one leads to the other. And so, so on one mountaintop you have the destruction of Jerusalem, and that's a picture of what's about to happen uh, when Jesus comes back. So you'll know when that is, is at play. The second interpretation is, is to see verses 4 through 28 as one prolonged description of distress. Uh, that, uh, that it's a prolonged description of, of tribulation that will happen in the world before Christ comes back. That uh, with this interpretation, verses 29 through 51 focuses primarily on Jesus' climatic return with the destruction of Jerusalem serving as one, albeit very potent, example of the coming time of tribulation, that it would just serve as, and so we would still be in the middle of that great time of distress uh, a couple thousand years later. Uh, and so, but regardless, regardless of which way we interpret it, there, there are two things being very clearly spoken here. Uh, that, that number one, Jesus says Jerusalem will be destroyed. And then number two, Jesus is going to return. The, those two things are very real truths. And so to the, to the disciples and really to us, these are, these are earth-shaking realities. Right? Now, now to us, we need to ask, why? Why is that important that we would 
know that? Why is it important that we would see this at play? And so, so there, there are two, why, two reasons for this. That Number one, why this is important to me is that the things of this world are passing. The things of this world are passing. So that should help us loosen a grip. In fact, um, the disciples are walking as they leave the temple and they're looking at just this, this incredibly awe-inspiring edifice. Uh, just they were just amazed by it. Like these are these are country boys in the big city, uh, and they see it and they remark to Jesus about it. And and Jesus says, "Hey, um, it's all coming down, guys." Uh, in fact, as we, he, he talks about the stones falling apart, and something that I read uh, these last couple of weeks that I think is really interesting is that that when people would travel to Jerusalem just to see the temple. Uh, just to see how beautiful it was. And the stones that they talk of um, could be as, as far as, as 40 feet long, 12 feet wide, 12 feet deep, and could weigh up to 200,000 pounds. Okay? And now, that's a remarkable thought to me, considering that they didn't have cranes the way that we do today. Uh, that, that they didn't have modern construction uh, practices uh, the way that we do today, that, that they figured out with ropes and pulleys and strength how to get those things together. And Jesus says, look at these stones. And when the Romans come, when Jerusalem falls, when this temple is destroyed, not one stone will be on top of one another. So it will be a great feat for this thing to fall down. Because here's what happens. is that For the Jewish people, they looked at the temple and they said, that place is untouchable. That place is untouchable. That's a fortress. In and Jesus says, no, no, no. All the things of this world are passing. All of them. Even the best, most incredible things of this world are passing. And Jesus says as much uh, will happen. He says that, that heaven and earth will pass away. And the, the second reality that springs from this text has to do with the large part of verse 35, that Jesus says, although heaven and earth will pass away, he says, my words will never pass away, okay? So, so, so the first thing is that uh, the things of this world are passing. The second one is that the truth of His Word is permanent. That's how faith grows. In fact, that's how faith, when we can't see, grows to a place of saying, I trust you, therefore I believe it will happen. And it's not just wishful thinking. It's I trust you because you have never once in your life told me a lie. You have always fulfilled it in your time. So anytime God has given you a promise, specifically in the Word, anytime He has given you a promise, He will, He has fulfilled that. Okay? So, so it might not happen in your perspective, it might not happen in your timetable, but He promises and He has proven time and time again that we can trust Him. Okay? So the things of this world is passing. The truth of His Word uh, is permanent. And so, so really, Jesus not only knows the future, but He ordains it. And so when He speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem, it, it happened. It did. And so everything else He says about His coming serves as this great testimony of faith that He will not leave us abandoned here. That He gives us His Holy Spirit as a secure deposit for things yet to come. And so this question, the question really is, is, is will you be ready for, for that day? Okay, and I'm not trying to Baptist preacher you in this one. You know, you can drive away right now and, 
and an airplane could just fly right and crash into your car. You know, and you're like, what are the odds of that? You're at, and you're like, well, I guess it could happen. Um, so, so the question is, will you be ready for that day? You, you may be wondering what it means to be ready, right? <laughs> that, that was my question. Whenever I heard an evangelist talk about, well, are you ready for that day? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, and luckily, uh, we get some verses to help us understand uh, what that actually looks like. Uh, and this leads us to our, our second thought, that number two, uh, that you can persevere in the power of Christ. You can persevere in the power of Christ. That, that this prophetic text leads us not only to trust in the authority of Christ, but also to persevere in the power of Christ. That, that you are not, when He ascended into heaven, He did not leave you weaponless. He did not leave you powerless. And Jesus was preparing His disciples at that time for Jerusalem's destruction and really for even their own persecution. Um, but, but simultaneously, He's preparing us for the return of His glory. That, 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 he's, that this is one reason the emphasis on date setting is so very misguided in interpreting this chapter. That, that after all, Jesus says, now concerning that day, and I think he knows. I think he sees his disciples start to try to put together, has this happened yet? And he looks at him. he says, listen, I just, I'm going to take that off the table for you. You don't have to guess the time because I promise you, when it happens, you'll know. You'll know. And so, so that, this is why he says, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except only the Father. And, and it's a pretty remarkable statement coming from the lips of the Son of God. If, if this text leads us only to speculation, we've missed the entire point of it. That Jesus intends His followers to walk away from this text prepared for what is sure to come before His return. Uh, and, and in it, we're going to find four things that Jesus says you will face. Okay? And now again, if, if you've grown up or if you believe in a very soft, um, safe, secure kind of gospel that, that never ruffles your feather, uh, feathers, then I don't know how many feathers you're wearing. You might just be wearing one. Um, but but if, if it ruffles you, uh, then you need to understand this is why we walk verse by verse through books of the Bible. Um, because Jesus is going to say some things that we're like, I don't think I ever heard that before. Uh, and it's good that we would know that he says these things. So, so there's four things that he says that we'll face in this chapter. He says that, that followers of Jesus will face deception. He says they'll face deception. In fact, he says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. And many will and they will deceive many. Uh, and then he says essentially the same thing in 23 through 26, warning those of saying who will say, "Look, here's the Messiah," uh, or "There is the Messiah." He says that false messiahs, false prophets, will arise, perform great signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, even the elect. Uh, and I'll just tell you to be honest, that that verse right there kind of throws me for a loop. I've been trying to chew on it, and I still am not satisfied with it. Um, and when we see and we hear such things, uh, Jesus gives us very clear instructions. He says, don't believe it. He says, he says, don't believe it. And when we think of this, when we think about our story, uh, we hear in our modern day, we think of, of people like uh, like Jim Jones or, or David Koresh, who uh, very um, blatantly are false teachers who led people astray. Uh, but it doesn't have to be as deceptive as that. Uh, it can leak in very Subtly, uh, as a very safe-looking gospel that is very far from the heart of the Father. 
Uh, and so that's why it's so important that we have to come into the Bible and say, okay, God, let's explore this. Let's hold these words up to your word and see if they're in uh, step with one another. Because if they're not, if they're not, the fault, again, I always say this, the fault's not on the word, it's on us. Uh, and so, number two, uh, followers of Jesus, he says, will face tribulation. Uh, whether this is in the first century or the 21st century, he says life will not be necessarily as easy uh, to those who bear witness to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. That, that This is found in, in many places. Uh, you can go specifically today uh, in verses 6 through 8. He says that this is the beginning of birth pains, which will include rumors of wars and wars and famines and earthquakes in various places. And, and all of those things are happening right now, right? Uh, ironically enough, all of those things have always been happening. Um, but, but all of these things are happening uh, not just with the first century Christians, but for Christians today, that we hear of wars, we hear of rumors of wars all across the Middle East. We, we hear of threats of war and escalating tensions between um, Israel and, and Iran. We, we hear of nuclear threats from North Korea. The, the news, we, we've spent a considerable amount of time very close to us here, uh, hearing reports of floods, and we hear of tsunamis, and we hear of earthquakes and we hear of starvation going across all the world um, like there are very there are literally children and families dying today because they don't have access to good water uh, and so all of these things are taking place in our time and we are not immune to the tribulation that is going on in the world and and Jesus tells us to expect these things not so that we can pinpoint a date and say, oh, well, clearly this one is this day, and clearly this one is that day. He tells us these things so that we can be reminded about how to live and to how to um, prepare for in, to live in this fallen world before He returns. He says, listen, it's going to be hard for you. It is going to be difficult. And He says, uh, remarkably, as He says that, He also says this, that we are not to fear he says that these things must take place that the end is, is not yet. And so your hope as a follower of Christ should not come uh, and go based on political trends or potential disasters, that, that these things shouldn't alarm us that they're happening. In fact, we're reminded of, of Paul's words in Romans chapter 8 when he says uh, about labor pains. He says that all of creation is longing to be set free free from the bondage of corruption into this glorious freedom of God's That all of creation cries out to be set free from bondage. All of it. And so, so remember, Christians are not saved from trials. Scripture is very clear about this. Rather, Christians are saved through these trials. He says, that's, that's why you cling close to me. That's why you can rest secure in me in every circumstance of your life. He says, trust in me even when it seems that everything is out of control. You can trust that I know very firmly what is at play. Very firmly. Number um, three, I guess. Um, that followers of Jesus are going to face temptation. Because they're going to face temptation. Verse 10 says that, that many will take offense and betray one another and hate one another. That the increase of lawlessness will cause the love of many to grow cold. What a tragedy. Especially in the church. Because he's talking about us. That, that followers of Christ will be tempted not to trust in God, but instead to trust in themselves. And those 
who we thought were believers, people who were identified with the church will turn away and will be tem- and we will be tempted to do the same. And the reason being uh, that number four, that, that followers of Jesus will face persecution. That, that Jesus warns of this in verse 9. He says, they will hand you over for persecution. And then he says these words. He says, they will kill you. They, they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my namesake. Okay? Now, now here's what I want you to understand about that. In particular to the Bible Belt. Okay? The persecution that Jesus is speaking of isn't that they're, they're trying to allegedly take prayer out of school. Okay? You can't do that. Okay? If God is everywhere, anyone can pray to them. Okay? That's not persecuting Christians. Uh, that's, that's not saying that you can't take your Bible into your workplace. You know, that's not persecution. We're talking about very real things going on today in this world where Christians are losing their lives because they refuse to, to, pro, to recant their allegiance to Jesus. Okay? Very real things. He says the nations of the world will hate you for my name's sake. Now the question that we have to deal with, okay, and this is one that pains me. Are we hated in the church today for the right reasons? I just have a question. Are we hated for the right reasons? Because I contend that we are not. I contend that when an unbelieving world looks at the church, it's because we, and I heard a pastor say this one time, and now I'm closely just saying it as my own thought. Um, that that when an unbelieving world looks at the church, it's not the righteousness of Jesus they have a problem with. It's the self-righteousness of the Christians. So he says, listen, they're, they're going to hate you because they hated me. They're going to hate you because they hated me. Now, and it doesn't mean that we are hateful people, right? It doesn't. Because the way of, there's not one moment where Jesus is hateful. There's not one moment when he steps out of line with being Christ. Okay, not one. So, so Jesus has given us this, this really long list of things that will happen that are, that are not necessarily signs of the end of the time. They're just birth pains that lead to the end. He says the end will come when the gospel has been proclaimed as a testimony to all nations. So that, that's, that's when it's going to happen. And then, then I love what he says. He's, he goes, this is, and I think this is why we long to make the gospel known to every people group in the world, that these truths about worldwide proclamation set the stage for the Great Commission that we're going to get to in chapter 28, uh, where Jesus gives this foundational command to go and make disciples of all nations, that, uh, that this, this glorious task will not be easy. It will not be. And so, so we can, as we start to kind of wrap this up, I'm going to give you your third point, that, that we've seen... Um, that, that we're to trust in the authority of Christ, right? Uh, that we can trust in Jesus' words because He's very right about this. He continues to be right about all things. Uh, we can persevere in the power of Christ. And now based on uh, what we see in this chapter, there's this portrait of, of Jesus we see throughout uh, Matthew's Gospel that we can long for the coming of Christ. I think I have a typo in your notes. I think it says in the coming of Christ, but in for it doesn't matter. You get the idea, right? That, that that we can long for the coming of Christ. There's, there's nothing wrong about saying, well, I can't wait for the day that Jesus comes back. 
that, that the realities of tribulation and deception, temptation, persecution, it creates for us this great anticipation uh, that the more we live in this world, the more we long for Jesus to come back and set all things right. That He would reign and rule in ways that we have never even fathomed because we don't understand goodness and perfection and holiness the way Jesus models it. That, that the chapter leaves no doubt that the day of Christ's return will be evident to so many, right? to all. His coming will be no secret. The angels of heaven uh, will, will let out a trumpet blast and every eye will behold the Son of Man in the sky. Uh, it says that, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. That that is a very literal thing that's going to happen one day. And as I think about that, how different uh, is his arrival than his return, right? Because in his arrival, he shows up in a very obscure town, in a very obscure way, and hardly anybody knows about it. Like his family knows about it, some livestock know about it, and some shepherds know about it. A couple years later, there's some wise men. Uh, let that just blow your mind that they weren't there at that moment, right? And he has these humble beginnings because he is a humble Savior. And it says that when he comes back, everybody will be on notice. Everybody. And he's very clear, too, that his, his arrival brings salvation and his return brings judgment. He says, I've come, and when I return, I'm bringing division. I'm bringing division. And that shouldn't fear us as Christians. As unbelievers, that should help us understand that there is a time when you will be held accountable for your sins. And we don't say that to beat you or to guilt you into receiving Jesus. We say that to help you see very clearly what is at play here. That Christ comes as Savior and then Lord. And when He returns, He serves as King. And so while we watch confidently, we can wait patiently that we don't have to gather around tonight and get graphs and marker boards and um, try to decode the Bible. We don't have to do that. We don't have to um, read the book of Revelation every day for the next 30 days. Um, if you'd like to do that, you're welcome to. But Jesus says these things will be very obvious when I return. Because you don't be surprised when things are hard. Because you don't be surprised when there's wars, rumors of wars. This is all but signs that I'm coming. And that sign, those signs are given to us as believers to create an urgency for proclaiming the gospel and for unbelievers to understand time is running out. So we can wait patiently and we can work urgently. We can understand that today is a good day to tell somebody about Jesus. That's not just a catchy phrase that today is a good day to tell someone that they need Jesus 
That's 51 verses. How fast did we go? Oh my gosh, it's 4 o'clock. All right. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. We wrap up, make a couple things available to you like we do every week. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. My, my prayer is that we haven't scared you into anything today. You don't leave like, oh, it's all coming to an end. Right? Um, just very real people have done that. Very real people have done that. Our prayer is that we would be more secure day in, day out in Christ, in Christ alone. So we want to pray with you if you need prayer. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your heart. We want to walk with you through that adventure. We want to celebrate with you in that adventure. We want to gather around you and protect you in that adventure. But it begins with you coming up and giving your heart to Him. When we pray, the Hansons will be up here and Michelle and Kim will be up here. No better people I'd like to pray for me. So I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you don't leave us just guessing what's going to happen, but that you reach into the very uh, most important aspects of our adventure with you and you, you help us understand where we can rest secure, where our eyes can be vigilant, and where our hearts should be moving as we think of the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.